Hey, Ray. Yo. I think this week we're going to go to a place that I absolutely under no circumstances could have appreciated or enjoyed as a newborn. Where are we going, man? Hello, 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 hello. I hear hello. echoes. Rock and roll, music, music, music. Wow. You were born in the mid-60s, so I'm assuming that uh, you weren't around when a lot of what we want to talk about this week was going on? No, but some of that music was sung to me by my grandfather as a little baby. So you couldn't go to Laurel Canyon in L.A. because you were a baby and nobody would have taken you there unless, of course, they had friends who lived there. And if they had friends who lived there, they would have been pretty famous the friends, I'm saying, you know, yeah. so you would have definitely remembered if you'd been there in Laurel Canyon in the 60s. There would be pictures of that. Yes. There would be total pictures Cherished of family photos Absolutely. with you and Frank Zappa. Yes. Or me. Joni Mitchell. Or any other number of people. All that, of the Beach Boys. Yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Sacco, and Vanzetti. The birds. Oh, no, those last two weren't there. <laughs> the birds. Yeah, all the birds. They're kind of the ones we're talking about that started moving to Laurel Canyon in the 60s. And the thing that really got my attention, and we started talking about it just a, you know, a week or two ago after I rewatched Echo in the Canyon, just an amazing movie on Netflix. And we could do a whole episode just talking about the canyon. But we want to talk about the movie because I thought it was stellar. First off, it rekindled a lot of things in my head and a little fire in there. <laughs> but it also reminded me about what that scene was and why Lou Adler was one of the coolest guys ever in L.A. rock and roll. <laughs> Lou Adler was so rad when it came to all of that. I mean, he was the man on top of it all. Seriously. He had all the studios wired. He had all the artists wired. He knew the people. He knew how to make these amazing records. And with the equipment, he shows in the movie Echo in the Canyon. At one point, he shows the equipment he had to work with at that studio when it first started. And it's pretty astounding what they got out of those sessions with the equipment they had at their disposal there in the mid-60s. And not only that, the fact that they were partying and doing as many um, hallucinogenic substances as they were and doing some of the things that they were doing. That's the miracle. There it. were some crazy sessions like somebody was passed out, stuck their head up, got the vocals out passed back out and they recorded that and that was used on an album yeah lou was talking about that in one of the sessions and the fact that lou could pull the best out of everybody under any circumstance is what made him one of the many things that made him as exceptional as he is we're off and running and we're already doing what is our look at echo in the canyon here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll brought to you by our good friends at crooked eye brewery in the heart of hapro with the cure for what ails you since 2014 Let's talk about where this film started. It really started as a project between Jacob Dylan and also uh, Capitol Records president Andrew Slater. They wanted to take a look at all the music of that era made at these amazing studios that were all in the neighborhood out there, right? So they started out to make an album, right? Then the album was coming together really well and it gave them some other ideas and it led to a concert. And that's partly what led to the film because they just started 
filming all of it, you know, it kind of all congealed. And the concept is really great for a documentary. What they're talking about is iconic to people like me who grew up loving and adoring that West Coast rock and roll sound of the 50s, and especially in the 60s and 70s and stuff. So the film slides between interviews and studio shots, live performance pieces in a brilliant way that highlights and melds together each of the parts. One of the things I found very fascinating is is the project started after they watched a movie called The Model Shop. Yeah, and segments of that movie are interspersed throughout the film as well, including the moment where the, the actor, the primary actor in that film, is standing outside one of those beautiful houses at the top of Laurel Canyon looking out at L.A. and having what a lot of people call their L.A. moment, or as one man once said to me, when I found religion. And that's not in a true religion sense. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that crazy California religion. And people find it in different ways when they go there. And the canyon was perfect for anyone. I mean, if you're a rock star and you're out there recording and living anyway, a lot of people move to L.A. to become stars, right? Just like any day. It's been for a long time. And you're the birds and you've got a few bucks in your pocket and you find out that there's this place up in the hills just off the strip, just up the hill, and you can go and get up there and get it for a certain price and you can make that happen. Well, that's what the charge was led by, people like that. David Crosby was the first one to move there, and he is featured quite prominently in this film, as you'll see as we go through the topics that are discussed in Echo in the Canyon. I really enjoyed watching it. It was so much fun to watch and see how all of these different lives joined together, and that included a lot of Hollywood types. It was people who were avoiding the plastic and fake life of Hollywood and wanted to be completely away from it without being too far from it. But and that still was being true from its earliest work. days. And back to Clara Bow and Tom Mix, a lot of those people lived there because, like you said, it was proximity and it was away from everything. And that kind of continued through the years to be that kind of a spot because it's not like it's a little road. It's like yeah. this huge canyon complex back there. Some of the stories that came out of it were absolutely mind-blowing and insane. Like, for example, somebody would knock on somebody's door and say, yo, can you check out this riff I just wrote? Or can you hear yeah. this? And then a song was written in somebody else's house, and it's absolutely mind-warping to think about because that would never happen today. Clapton is a character in the canyon because he just loved the whole vibe, right? And he talks about one day, wherever he was staying, I don't think he had a house there, but wherever he was staying... Knock at the door. It's Stephen Stills, who somebody told me that you really dig our song, Bluebird, and I wanted to come over and play it for you. So Stills came in, who was, by the way, no slouch in any manner of good speaking. He's one of the great guitar players. Oh, that's absolutely. one of the most underrated, in my view. So he comes in and plays it for Clapton, sitting on the couch in the morning and stuff like that. The scene that we described in the Alice Cooper podcast, where they go to audition for Frank Zappa, happened in Laurel Canyon. Joni Mitchell lived there. The Mamas but, and the Papas lived there, and well, they were crazy. You start getting into it, right? And yeah. and they start getting into the birds when they're talking to, uh, to the guys in the movie, and they've got McGuinn involved. But one of my favorite things in the movie, and they go back to it a few times, unbelievable house where they hold the first rehearsals where he's there with Beck, and I guess it was Regina Spector and Jade Casarinos, and I'm sitting there looking at that house with the globes swinging over the pool, the L.A. in the distance, and just the beauty of that classic Laurel Canyon house. It's the setting for where they decided to start figuring this thing out. And that's where the rehearsal started. It kind of follows all through the whole process of putting the concert together and filming it and interviewing everybody. They have uh, cutaways 
to Jackson Brown, sitting with Jacob Dylan under the trees somewhere. The Tom Petty scenes at the uh, record store, the Tom Petty scenes with the Rickenbackers were just unbelievable. Yeah. And the and story of the second 12-string. Yes. And how George, George Harrison, Harrison stole it from John <laughs> Lennon. You have to watch to hear that story. It's but really it's great. Ab- but that's also part of the sadness in this movie, as far as I'm concerned, because seeing Tom in what was his last appearance in a film or a documentary of any kind right before he passed, a uh, little hard to watch. But I'll tell you what, the man crackled with energy in that came through and you can tell that Jacob really enjoyed hanging out. And Tom was very open about the influence from that time period on his music and hearing the birds for the first time and being like, what? Well, what did they call it? The uh, the folk rock special. Yeah. The, the 12 string Rickenbacker because it could bring so much life to folk music and make it folk rock. What Roger McGuinn was talking about was the cross-pollination that was going on and you had you know that whole thing with the birds and you also had the Beach Boys and the Mamas and the Papas. And the Beatles were into this too. Well they came in and out. They they wanted yeah. to know what was going on up there. Ringo had some very interesting things to say about psychedelics and his time spent there in the canyon. And McGuinn had some things to say about the joint rolling butler as well from the Rolling Stones house. <laughs> you know, there's just I'm a lot of good stories in there that insane. you have to watch to get it all. Well, we mentioned Cries. We mentioned Stills. Nash was there, too. And I think he arrived into the middle of this, realized he was with Joni Mitchell. And Our House was written about Laurel Canyon, the Lady yeah. of the Canyon. And uh, she still holds court, by the way. So the birds move in there. And at that point, Joni Joni was still a kid from Canada, you know, working her way through. The cross-pollination between the Beatles and the birds is pretty incredible because it wasn't as publicized. I remember it being a story, but it was pretty early on. The Beatles loved the birds, and the birds loved the Beatles. Now, in nature... (laughs) The birds would eat the beetles. But in this case, it was a mutual admiration thing. And it led to cross-pollination and cross-psychodizalization. Is that how you say it? And speaking of which, John Sebastian pops up in the film. Shocker. And he's in New York and he's talking about uh, getting to know and meeting McGuinn. And talking about how McGuinn was complaining and that he couldn't get anybody to pay attention to his folk rock style that he wanted to do in New York, in the club scene in New York. And then how he traveled to L.A. and went to Troubadour and got pretty much the same response and that's where folk music at large was just before the birds we're talking about the progenitors of folk music from the 50s forward into the 60s and the list is long okay but it's a different thing now this is something that we discussed and this is one of our little sidebars we have here on the podcast while we were re-watching this we both realized that the birds coming along and taking dylan's songs and making them into am radio hits which crosby said was putting poetry Poetry on the radio. Did that all help to influence Dylan to go electric in 65 at Newport? Absolutely, because somebody said in here, it was the day that John Sebastian met McGuinn. He played an electric folky version of I Want to Hold Your Hand opening for Hoyt Axton, and the people were pissed. They did not like this electric folk sound that McGuinn and his cats were doing, so the birds formed, and then Bob heard the birds play Mr. Tambourine Man with the electric 12-string Rick 
Rickenbacker, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden... Light went on? A light went on with <laughs> Bob Dylan, and they were the powerful band everybody wanted to be in a lot of ways. And the things that we learned during this movie, we mentioned the story about uh, George Harrison stealing or uh, just taking the 12-string Rickenbacker from John Lennon just by chance. And well, yeah. That you, whole story But is you crazy. go watch, and you get the whole story. We're yeah. just talking about it because it's one of those things where we don't sit here and talk about movies very much. We no. don't talk about documentaries very much. This thing has so much stuff in it. It has so much of an impact on and so everything. so many stories. Every minute is filled with information that's going to make you say, what? Exactly. I seriously got writer's cramp. Cream was driven by Pet Sounds, according to Eric Clapton. And then Pet Sounds is why we have Sgt. Pepper. Rubber Soul is why we have Pet Sounds. And the mamas and the papas knew the birds couldn't believe that they got on the radio and were I like, hey, that. the birds got on the radio so we can get on the radio. And the birds even right. admitted that they were bad and that they had to practice and practice and practice and they thought that that was part of the challenge and the excitement of doing what they were doing. It was, oh my God, every minute seriously is insane. Which brings us around to Michelle Phillips because you mentioned her comments about the birds, right? The thing was... She was great. Oh, her part in that is saucy and honest. It's the 60s version of rumors explained. With the mamas and the papas, it was a rumor situation, makeups and breakups and everything else that was going on. And she's totally frank about it, and I really love that, love seeing that. But I also love seeing Lou Adler and her going to the studio where they sang Monday, Monday, and all those great songs. Looking at that, and I got goosebumps. I know, that part. just thinking like about it, all it. It brought me back to my childhood right away. Boom. And it was Michelle who brought up the fact that uh, in one of her visits to Brian Wilson's house, who was there in the canyon, when she walked in, the living room was filled with nothing but sand. Everything was taken out, and there was nothing but sand and the grand piano. And she talks to Brian's wife like, hey, what's going on here? And the wife goes, crazy, right? But he's writing some great songs. Those songs became pet sounds. I never knew that that happened, and that was the atmosphere he created. Brian's in there. He comes into the studio with the guys, tells them they're in the wrong key, starts straightening everything out, being Brian. And you see... He was the leader of that band without a oh, doubt. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And when he went to his room, because they were talking about the song In My Room in the film, when he went to his room, it was really hard times for the creative aspects for the Beach Boys, which we'll talk about. But all this is happening in Laurel Canyon. And the impact on all of the music that we hear today, Laurel Canyon was a huge, huge part of what we hear today and why we hear what we hear today. Jacob Dylan's fantastic as the host of this. You know what else is fantastic? Frosty, cold, delicious brew. From our good friends and sponsors at Crooked Eye Brewery here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I know when I'm thirsty, I head to the heart of Hatboro and go see my friends at Crooked Eye Brewery. I want to thank Paul, Paul, and the whole gang for their support for our podcast. It's been great. Now, when you want to taste the freshest, most creative brews in the Bucksmont, you go to Crooked Eye at York Road in Montgomery, right there in the heart of Hatboro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. 
The Crooked Eye Crew makes every single night fun. Hey, and you can keep up with the live entertainment on the brewery's Facebook page. That's the best way to know what's happening there, including their free Tuesday night's blues jam, which is taken off. The Home Brewers Club and my partner in crime, Ray's Vinyl Nights, which are the third Wednesday of the month. That's every when the month. Home Brewers meet. And live music all the time, including the Crooked Eye Band. There's always good fun to be had. And a new friend to be made at Crooked Eye. And we want to thank them, as always, for their support of what we do on this crazy, imbalanced podcast. When you need a fresh, tasty brew, head to Hatboro and make it Crooked Eye. Marcus and Ray hanging on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And we were just before the break, we were talking about the Beatles and the birds and their mutual admiration society. That kind of extended to Buffalo Springfield, too, you know. I watched, uh, like, transfixed, watching young Neil Young in the Springfield jumping up to do Mr. Soul. I just kind of got, like, transfixed by it and just drawn in and, and the cockiness that he had in those days. Now, he says recently, I just want to take care of my music. He doesn't want to tour, doesn't want this, doesn't want that. Just wants to take care of his music. But back then, he was the beginning of the ride. And you saw it, you know, Stills in his cowboy hat, them just doing their thing. And the Beatles got it, that they were the California rockers and they interacted with them as well. So this is how all these guys got to know each other and got to know all these stories that we're getting in this movie. And the fact that there was so much intermingling and so much creativity being bounced back and forth and not in a competitive way, but in a mutual admiration way is very, very impressive. Well, David Crosby was featured prominently in this film, and it's the scene where he and Jake are pretty much they're standing against a, like a black iron rot fence, just looking out over the valley and looking out over the canyon and just shooting the breeze, right? And he actually set the record straight about why he got fired from the birds because there's always a PR twist. And he basically said it was because I was an asshole. Yeah. He said that. Yes, totally. I mean, openly to Jacob Dylan. So the funny thing is he's standing there and they're talking about all these different things. And he's talking about how the birds were there and the mamas and papas and the, all these other bands were there. And then Dylan showed up and Jacob stops and smirks and goes, I'm sorry, you're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> it was his it was his great comedic line in there. And I hate to give it away, but it's real. It still won't lose its impact. And the, the thing is, you were talking about the sharing of music. Cross said in that same setting that the scene was people's homes. People would be playing music and they'd hear music and they'd go in and they'd add a guitar and just hang out yeah. and jam with Graham for the afternoon yeah. or whatever. The rules didn't apply there in Laurel Canyon, right? No rules. Because of all the stuff we were talking about earlier about stimulating substances that can make you stay up all night, things that can make you see things, yes. things that can make you feel fine. All these combined in an atmosphere where the scene was your house, my house, our house. Very communal. And Crosby said it was the last Lack of rules that inspired the chemistry. Although, one of my favorite moments is when Ringo's talking about everybody running around naked in Laurel Canyon until they saw him and George pulling up and then they put their clothes on. He goes, that wasn't very hippie. Nash. They were bummed that they couldn't take their clothes off and join yeah, in. Yeah, that's totally. exactly right. And that's exactly what he and was And that's saying. what the people who put their clothes on missed by not waiting five minutes to see what happened. Nash compared that scene in the 60s into the 70s to 1930s Paris as far as the creativity and 
and the artistry of all kinds that was going on right there and, and with neighbors joining in left and right. Echo in the Canyon, the performance part, they use all different kinds of people, people who weren't in the original plan. They just kind of keep adding people. Nora Jones is in there, Fiona Apple's in there. Beck's in there. Yeah, well, Beck was in that original rehearsal, but he smartly expanded to involve different voices that could do the songs that they wanted to do. Regina Spector was amazing. But going to the studios where they were made and re-recording using basically the same technology as much as you could made it really a neat twist and a great idea to incorporate into a documentary of any kind, really, if you stop and think about it. Fiona Apple's performances were really impressive. She did In My Room, yeah, which was really nice. Her and Jacob together had really nice chemistry, really nice chemistry. And the chemistry. band that they put together yes. was really solid. So, And it was some of the guys that were in the studio and some of the guys who were different live or additional people live. And in the spirit of sharing and stuff like that. One of the things I really like in the film is when Clapton basically cops to inadvertently stealing part of the Buffalo Springfield song question for his song, Let It Rain. He illustrates it in everything. And I thought it was interesting that even though he was more known for living in England and other places, that he should consider Laurel Canyon such an important part of his artistry arc that he would want to be part of a, a film about it. And I thought that was an interesting angle, too. That, and I give credit to the team that put the film together. Andrew Slater is the man behind it, and Jacob's the man who executed the plan, I guess you'd say. And I think it leads to an amazing film about an amazing place that stands the test of time as a place for artists to live in proximity to where they make their art, uh, whether it's in the recording studios, which are all right there along the strip where the record companies are, or the film studios, which is a lot of people that live there now are uh, in film or television because they can. One of the other things I found very interesting that they did back then, because we did this in the 80s, and I know you probably did this in the 70s and even the 60s as well, is the record parties they had in the 60s. Oh, they just my. just had record parties. Well, where they would all sit and listen to other people's records, and that's just cool. Those well, parties were fun. Well, think about it. Okay, you're one of those bands we've been talking about for the last little while and you either get a new single acetate or the new album acetate, you want to try it out on a good stereo. Word is that Buffalo Springfield has their new album done, and they're going to be up at Stills' house. Funny story about Stills, too. They go to Stills' house, they go and they listen to the new album, or they go to somebody else's house, so-and-so is inviting people over. And that was part of the atmosphere that Crosby keeps referring to. Funny thing about Stephen Stills, I remember hearing news about this when it happened, I guess, but there was a famous bust at uh, somebody's, I think it might even have been Stephen's house, and he said that he went to uh, get help, and people gave him for running when the man came in the front door, him running out the back door. Oh, yeah, that story was hilarious. Well, because here's a man who's in his accomplished Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, successful on every level, this and that, and the other thing, copping to the fact that, yeah, I guess I kind of did, and it's haunted me. It's bothered me all these years because you don't think of california guys you don't think of them as being burdened by stuff like that but real life man i gotta say that those kind of things are part of what's refreshing about this movie and its view of everything it's a little unvarnished you know it is it's pretty raw 
Yeah, and I'm sure there's more, yeah. but the things that were discussed and the characters that are involved and the fans of the scene that were involved, people like Petty, you know, that came along later, but love that and continue to plug into it. I'm surprised Dylan didn't make an appearance. Didn't he? Oh, wrong Dylan. Because you Be would, more specific. You would seriously think that Bob would have had a word to say or two because of the influence on that, or at least Jacob could have given more information about Bob Bob in relation to it because of his close ties or his uh, blood relation. And Jacob was fantastic, but I did expect to hear more about Bob during this, and that was the one thing that surprised me. You know, the one thing that surprised me was that the Lady of the Canyon hardly gets mentioned at all and wasn't involved. Now, some of it may have been her health at the time of filming and all that, but I think she is a central figure in the modern history, certainly, of Laurel Canyon and continues to be the queen as far as I'm concerned and she was there at a time when Zappa was alive and living there and other people who were the other creative geniuses and there's were the, they were all right there up in that little network of roads in the canyon Zappa standing in the middle of the street reading the brain police to Stephen Stills phenomenal I would give anything to be on the porch <laughs> across the street from Frank for that now if there were iPhones in that era <laughs> we We'd all have seen it the next day. That would have been an exceptional moment just in life to experience. It's a beautiful place, and I had my moment with Laurel Canyon, one of my first times going to L.A. I was at the Concrete Foundations Forum. It was very early in the morning, and I was taking a cab ride from the hotel where the party was all night back to my hotel. And I shit you not, coming over the hill on my way down towards La Brea, Free Falling comes on the radio. As I'm driving out of the hills, listening to it, brand new song too, and it just hit me. Rock and roll in real life, intersecting right there in that moment. My first time coming down Mulholland. Yeah, because the hotel was over in Universal City, and you had to come over Mulholland to get down to where I was. And uh, I know it's real personal crap, but that's a long time ago now that I think about it. But the lure of the canyons, those Hollywood hills, those Hollywood nights that Bob Seger sang about, right? A lot of it is what he was seeing and feeling was the echo of the echo. Echo in the canyon is that 60s feel into the 70s. And if you follow the film, you see the characters continue to be introduced. Crosby Stills and Nash and Young are all in there throughout the whole movie. You get down to the end and you're starting to get to the point when they stop telling the story where it's going to be CSN next and then why. And you see why. Partially at least, right? He was in the studio playing a little bit. And at the end of the movie, there's Neil laying down the solo on like the title music for the ending and just cranking it. In Neil tone. Yes. And Graham Nash had maybe one of the other really exceptional quotes of the many out there. He just basically, he just said music can change the world. And he was right. And the thing was, he said it with conviction. I really believe that. And he's not given up on that. And I noticed that through the years. That's the main tone he wants to set yeah. for his time here. Unity, love, harmony, and music can make you feel things that mm -hmm. can help to change the world in a better way. Just got to let those messages in. Some yeah. people just hear the pretty notes. It's much more than the pretty notes. Yes, but it's definitely the pretty notes as well, my dear yeah. Marcus. I would love to see a tour of all these musicians doing this coming to Philly, kind of the way uh, Dave wow. Grohl did the tour as well. Because Interesting. 
idea. Dave Grohl did the big show in New York City. Well, if they go for out. their documentary. But it would be fun to see Jacob bring everybody out and do that. If they go out, the they'll tour and it. they did. And they would come to Philly, right? I would love to see this. But I don't know. Fiona was exceptional. And it yeah. was just such great chemistry. Beck, it gave me a whole new look at Beck and his talent and his genius, which is so quirky and so unique. But, God, he was so marvelous in this as well. And the chemistry between all of them doing the mamas and papas was really fun to see. Chilling. Really was. The sound of it was really amazing. Much different, but still true. I recommend if you like rock and roll and you like the history of rock and roll that you check Echo in the Canyon out because it's an important time period that shaped rock and roll that we know and have today. It's on Netflix. It's Echo in the canyon and check that out and then check us out with your feedback on this episode and everything else we do here by heading to our facebook page imbalance history of rock and roll on twitter at imbalance histo they won't give us ry no matter how much we whine about it marcus i'm done whining about it all right then and no he's not yes i am and then uh, you also can email us at imbalance history at gmail.com we are a production of dark doc media recording in the magic bag studios today thanks for hosting mozzie thank you for behaving almost all the time we're also on the pantheon podcast network aren't we yes we are one of many great shows on there if you like music you like music podcasts you want to learn about music there are many different ones that you can choose to listen to alongside the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Check them out. Check us out. And we'll catch you next time right here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.